1: Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Unfortunately, we've got a match to talk about last from last night and it's not a good one with Manchester United beating Tottenham 2-0 at Old Trafford. In all fairness though, it really could have been about five or six if it wasn't for the heroics of Hugo Lloris uh, throughout the game. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, it wasn't a good one, was it?
0: No, it wasn't. Um, I think I've decided, should we just talk about the Everton match instead? Because technically, you know, that, that came after the last podcast. We could just talk about that and forget the United game ever existed.
1: Well, as a executive producer of Golden Guest Top Tottenham, <laughs> I do have it on the plan, but literally we've only got 30 seconds to discuss it. So,
0: I'm sorry, where, where will you get become mentioned. executive producer? <laughs> that's that's <laughs> news.
1: I come up with a plan. So I'll have that title. Fair enough. I'm
0: not surprised you don't want to talk about the Everton game, but that's fine. That's fine. Or you do, but just in moderation. Um, Okay. All right. Well, we'll talk about the United match then. That's fine.
1: Right. Let's get going on the match at Old Trafford. Not a good one at all from a Tottenham perspective. Managed to keep United goalless in the first half with Hugo Lloris making about five or six. Hugo Lloris
0: managed to keep United goalless.
1: Brilliant saves, but literally, what? About a minute, two minutes into the second half, a deflected effort from Fred and it was pretty much game over from there. Uh, And then it was Bruno Fernandes, really well taken goal midway through the second half. And yeah, another game away at a top six side where Spurs just haven't laid the glove on them. Uh, George, just give us your thoughts, first of all, Ali, on the performance. I
0: wish I could just use one word, abysmal. That's all I'd use, honestly. It would a very short podcast, but it would just—it was so bad. And it was—it fell into every kind of repetitive cliche, almost about Spurs. That yeah, they do sometimes go to these big teams, or I'm going to put quote marks, big teams, because Manu, of course, are a big team from the past. But let's be um, honest—you know, Spurs have been above them in recent years. They have been a team that has, and even this season, they were above them. So that's what I think probably I found it all the more frustrating is that they went there and they just took this small team attitude with the way they played. But don't get me wrong, the players were awful they were so bad and I'd imagine Conte's system did not uh, he wasn't in there before in the dressing room going all right lads if you could uh, struggle to pass the ball three yards if you could just you know attempt to make clearances and slice them to their players if you if you could just you know fail to be like two of the best kind of world-class strikers in the world up there and just give the ball away on every occasion Uh, I'm sure that wasn't what he was saying but just you just felt the whole mentality go in there I just feel this with Spurs and there's always this almost like a defeatist attitude. Um, And this is even, you know, talking to sometimes people around the club, you sometimes even feel that they look at the fixture schedule and it's a bit like, oh, you know, we got United away then. or We're at the Emirates that day kind of thing. And don't get me wrong, I'm absolutely chucking myself in that as well. You know, I'll be the first to say every time Spurs go to the Emirates, you don't expect anything. Anything's a bonus. And that obviously all feeds into this kind of, very, very defeatist attitude. And I just felt we're going to talk about Conte's press conference, but I just felt he went like full circle. Like before the game, he was going on about how I'm really relishing this test to see how Spurs are kind of where we're at coming up against Man United. And after the game, it was way, it was all back to the like, oh little plucky Spurs, they couldn't do anything here. What a shame. And it's like you know, Newcastle have just gone there and got a point. Brighton have won there this season, haven't they, as well? Obviously, Man City went there and scored six goals. There. That is Man City. That's different. But Spurs have scored six goals there in the not-too-distant past as well. Um, I, I don't like all of that. I, d- I don't like going into a game feeling that they're beaten already. And that was just the sense I got from the players last night. There was just... It was so, so poor and completely... That 0 0 scoreline at half time was down to one man, and that was Hugo Lloris. Um, I looked at the stats for the. the, They had 28 shots on goal, United in all, 10 on target. 19 of those shots on goal were in the first half. And Hugo Lloris made like five top draw saves in that first half alone. Um, And he made another couple after the break as well. I can guarantee you, we said this before we came on the air, I said this. I can guarantee you, if he does like a dodgy kick against Newcastle, the fans are going to very quickly forget about just how incredible Hugo Lloris was last night. He's the only player for me that comes out of that game with any kind of credit whatsoever. Um, yeah, it was guess and I. If you're not aware, we run like a live match blog um, on a match day, and and the way we always kind of portion out the workload is that I'll put like very like bits of thoughts on the game occasionally, but on the whole. I'll do Spurs attacking chances, and Guesty will do the opposition attacking chances. (laughs) It's fair to say. Guesty had a lot of work last night (laughs) in the live blog, and I just literally sat there wondering when my next thing to write in it was going to be. Spurs were, I would even go as far as so, pathetic. They really were. I was so, so disappointed with the way they turned up and the way they played. Um, And the only thing I can hope is that there's a huge reaction for this weekend because I, I... I pity the fans that had to go and watch that, bearing in mind the fixture scheduling had absolutely stuffed them, you know, doing an 8.15 kickoff so they knew they couldn't get trains back, and then to go up there and have to watch that, oh, just, yeah, I feel for them, and, um, you know, I'll be honest, Conte probably should have even apologized to them in the, the press conference afterwards, but that's a failing maybe on my part. I should have perhaps asked that as well. Um, yeah, very, very poor, as you can tell. I'm a little bit annoyed by it.
1: <laughs> yeah, just horrendous last night. Honestly, so, so bad. First of all, I want to give credit to Manchester United. I thought they played really yeah. well last night. It's probably the best I've seen them play for a couple of years. They did well against Arsenal. I think it was in September, but mm. they were really were on it in terms of an attacking sense last night. But... Then again, Tottenham just played into the hands. They were just the own worst enemy at times. Spurs needed, in the first half, a period of either five or ten minutes, just get on the ball, slow things down, and just try and frustrate Manchester United. They couldn't even manage to do that. Some of they just the, the game
0: kind of brightly, didn't they? Yeah. Five minutes. But they do that so many times. They start games and you think, oh, they're up for this, and then it all goes flat again.
1: Yeah, I mean... The first chance Spurs had really good play. I think it was Doherty played in Benton Kerr and Mm. he flashed the shot wide. And after that, it was just one way traffic. But I mean, it was relentless at times coming at Hugo Lloris. It it literally was shot after shot. And as I was saying, it was just Spurs just shooting themselves in the foot, just basics, really just on the ball. The passing was atrocious. I think. Eric Dyer's performance was summed up by his pass to Matt Doherty when he was like six yards away from him and he yeah. played it too far ahead of him and he went out for a throw. But it was it was the passing in stupid areas in and around your own box and literally just u- losing it straight away. I mean, credit to United as well for pressing really well and not giving the opponent's time on the ball, but just a bit of composure. Uh, it was just totally lacking and for me, what was quite scary was the levels from the players. Levels mm. dropped massively. I mean, you go into a team, one of your top six rivals, your mm. levels should just automatically increase tenfold. Same as the would for a cup final, mm. but they went in the complete opposite direction. And then um, we went out into the press box like two hours ahead of the game and having a look around Old Trafford and we were saying like wow what what a place to play it. I know a lot of fans about it hasn't it yeah there's just still something about it even though you know Manchester United some fans are saying it's falling down in places and as a player this is like the stadiums where you want to play and perform Mm -hmm. and and Tottenham just didn't do that. And I mean you look at the Tottenham team and you're thinking why aren't you going to a place like this and performing? I just can't understand it. That's a team
0: full of players that played in Champions League finals, European Championship finals, World Cup winners. Why are they going to a ground that they've played at many, many, many times and actually being beaten by the occasion as much as the opponent?
1: Yeah, 100%. But I mean, if you're going to United with a game plan like that just to try and you know, nullify them then maybe hit them on the counter and sneak a win. All it takes is for one thing to go wrong and, you know, that's it. Your game plan's out of the window. Tottenham should be going there and giving them a game. Really should. Same as the should they should have done at Arsenal. Same as the should they should have done at Chelsea earlier in the season. I just, I don't know what it is. Did so, so well at Man City and Liverpool last season. Is that just the case of, well, we go in there, we're not expected to get anything, there's no pressure on us, maybe we can nick something, and then they go into Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester United, the teams in amongst the top six rivals where you are expected to probably get something. They're just not performing. Here's a question
0: for you then. On that, did we ever really see what Conte's game plan was? Because every time they tried to get forward, they were losing the ball. And then, obviously, the pressure would then pin them back. This is my... uh, trying to play devil's advocate here because, yes, I felt it looked like a defensive performance. But to play devil's advocate was the fact that they were so poor in the possession and kept inviting pressure on them. Did it make it look like they were trying to sit back when perhaps they weren't? They were just so bad in their use of the ball, there was no other option than to end up sitting back because United always had the ball.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with you. I've not seen a Tottenham team that sloppy in play for ages. It was just, it was schoolboy stuff at times. It was just absolutely horrendous. Uh, some of it, it. and the way just you could
0: normally trust.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a game where you're expecting your big players, you know, to stand up and take the game by the scruff of the neck, but that just wasn't the case. I mean, if you're gonna go to Old Trafford and deliver a performance like that and lose why not just go all out there? And even if you lose, you lose. At least go out fighting. It's, you know, it's a really difficult one uh, to take, just as you were saying. just needs to be a massive response on Sunday against Newcastle, a game which certainly won't be easy.
0: No, no, far from it. It's like, I, th- I think that's... Well, we'll talk about it later, but I do think that's actually a really good game for Spurs to come back into because it isn't one they're going to be able to take any kind of... Uh, easy way out of it um yeah like I say I think the big players really kind of I found them the most frustrating the players that Spurs have been relying on because of their composure and ability on the ball and you know we were raving about Hoybier. even the other day against Everton I thought he was superb against Everton um against uh United he was just honestly he was like a, almost like a debutante at times coming into the team he looked nervous um, he lost the ball. I think I, I looked it up. Three, He had three touches, like key touches in attacks that gave the ball to United because he miscontrolled it. Um, he just looked indecisive in plenty of moments as well. But then normally, if that was ever the case, you'd have obviously his midfield partner, Rodrigo Benton, probably the most composed man in a Spurs shirt oh my goodness, he had an absolute mare yesterday at times. He started really well, when it was a bit like, oh, hello, this is working. You know, Had that shot that flashed across goal, looked to be playing the ball out well, enjoying the midfield three, and then something happened from that point on, and even he was just giving that ball away constantly. Um, I think I had some stats here as well for those midfielders that I was going to read out, because it surprised me that Benton had the lowest pass success rate, 85.4%, which sounds high, but for someone like Benteke that plays a lot of quick, short balls, normally those kind of midfielders are always up in the 90s. Um, and that, I just thought, was kind of summed that up, really. And also, I don't want to be too harsh on his basuma because he is still working to this system, but I don't think he did himself any favours in that midfield three. For him, I just felt his touch was so heavy. The amount of times when he would take a touch to the ball and then almost give the opposition a chance to come and take it off him because it was such a heavy touch. Um, and I don't think he did the uh, 3 5 two formation any favours. Although, isn't it all the way, though, when, when fans and the media are all kind of in unison of, we want this to happen, we want the coaches, and, you know, as a Muppet, he's not picking this team or player or whatever. You can pretty much guarantee 90% of the time when you actually get to see what you're calling for it's rubbish. <laughs> I always remember, do you remember when we were called it was probably more me, but was calling for... Uh, Tongi and Dembele Giovanni Lo Celso and Hoybier all to play together as midfield three because on paper it made so much sense that Hoybier would sit there and let these two guys wreak havoc oh my god it was horrendous when we got it <laughs> it was in like a European away game was it in Europa League or something
1: was it uh, the game in Austria was it free-free Bale play I can't remember who it was Lask maybe was Lask?
0: Lask maybe it was so bad they were horrible, and it was kind of like that with the 3-5-2 yesterday. Um, and as it was, by the sounds of what you said afterwards, it was nothing to do with any fan pressure or anything like that to play the 3-5-2. I think it was Morley, more his personnel, but still, I do still believe the 3-5-2 is going to be an important thing for Spurs, is uh, like an alternate formation. Um, it's just, I guess, picking the right teams to play against because the irony is, I think the 3-4-3 yesterday would have given um, would have given Spurs more options going forward and more you know variety to their play because that was a game for me where it showed that the three midfielders i don't entirely know whether creative wise you're kind of relying on Bentgo and Hoybier to be a little bit of something they're not which they were against Everton and they can do it and Hoybier can score goals and assist goals but let's be honest it's not their primary objective in in the game Um, so to have three quite similar-ish players all trying to do a different job, you know, we saw Antonio Conte walk into the pitch before the game, hugging Christian Eriksen and like chatting away to him. You can't help but wonder what Eriksen in that midfield three would have done to that. Because obviously for Inter Milan, the second half of the season, they won Serie A under Conte. Eriksen was doing exactly that. He was the kind of playmaker within that three um and it does make you wonder why spurs didn't look at that option um when we're all kind of calling for it but then hey i don't know we all call for something and it turned out to be rubbish anyway so maybe that wouldn't be the greatest thing but yeah i was so disappointed with them um yeah and, and then defense as well what did you make of obviously we spoke about eric Dyer, but what did you make of christian romero last night
1: really poor uh I don't think he's had a good start to the season. I think he's had a couple of good games. I don't think he's been anywhere near the levels he was showing last year. Obviously, that he set such a high bar with the performances, especially after his hamstring injury when he came back in February. And Tottenham just looked a totally different side. Yeah, I've, nah, I think he's struggled this season, especially in a number it's of the other games. Way
0: around. Since his injury this time around, maybe.
1: Could well be. Did he come yeah. back too early from it? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The Fulham game is one what sticks out a bit for me. It just mm. wasn't Romero, especially when Mitrovic scored. Uh, that was a game where last season Romero, they just gone all in for the ball and come out with, with it. It was a bit half-hearted. Uh, last night, no, not good at all. Sloppy on the ball, reckless at times. Just oh, yeah. having a look at Marcus Rashford's first chance on goal, Rashford eased, eased past him, just ran off him with ease. Romero didn't even move. Uh it it, it was poor, and there was one point in the second half when he went on one of his trademark runs, Spurs lost the ball and he's just ambling back, just not sprinting back. And it just I mean the game had gone by then, but even still you want to see your players running back and getting back into position. No, I thought he was uh, poor last night. Hopefully, he'll be able to get back to his top form. I just don't think we've seen the best of him so far this season.
0: No, I think in games like that, you sometimes see the youthful... You forget how young he is, and I think sometimes you see that, I mean, relatively for a defender... And like last night, there were moments when he was getting himself out of his position and then he just try and lunge towards the ball to win it back, to try and make up for it. And it was just a, no, even if you kind of don't foul the man, you're leaving a big old gap behind you for them to exploit. And that's the kind of thing I think Conte can be quite harsh sometimes, it feels like on Romero when he's talking about him. But I think it's because of stuff like that. He's still not the finished article that maybe Romero sees himself as. and that, that's I don't, I don't know that. Just coming in the way he plays, that comes across sometimes that he maybe feels he's more of a finished article than he actually is. Um, yeah, really disappointed with Romero last night. I saw some people saying he was the best of the back three. I, I didn't think so at all. I, I thought he had a bit of a mare last night. I thought Ben Davies was probably, and this is marginal because none of them were particularly good, but I thought he was marginally the best of defensively. But I actually thought, and the stats bear it out, that Ben Davies was the worst on the ball. Um, I did have his uh, stats here somewhere. His passing. And look, I know pass success rate isn't the full picture of the game because you've also got to take into account that sometimes the lowest pass success rates come from the players who are trying to make things happen. And obviously those balls get cut out. Um, but where was it? I had Ben Davies one here. I was going to say it because it, it surprised me. I didn't realise quite how low it was. It was. Uh, here we are. <laughs> ben Davies was just 76.8% his pass success rate. Um, and that is one of those, I know it's hindsight, but you do wonder with Clement Longley and his passing ability, whether that would have been a higher kind of mark for someone like him. Uh, but then again, I, you don't know how he would have dealt with the kind of the pace that was coming at them down that side and everything as well. So Spur, uh, Spur sorry, United's front three were... They were just all over the shop, weren't they? they were all over Tottenham. Um, mainly, I'd say Anthony and Martial. Uh, Anthony and Martial, <laughs> Anthony and Rashford, <laughs> combining one player's name who wasn't even on the pitch. Um, Anthony and Rashford. Um, you were a bit like me. We kind of you at one point forgot Sancho was playing because he it didn't really impact it so much compared to the other two.
1: No, I thought he'd come on at the break when, <laughs> when, when I saw him. Literally, he didn't even do anything in the first half. It was all coming down Tottenham's left with Anthony on the ball. Uh, yeah, pretty non-existent, Sancho.
0: Yeah, but that that's, we must must say that's a very minor thing in their performance because <laughs> that's the beauty of it. You can have one player who maybe isn't fully on their game, but if everyone else is flying, whereas Spurs had every player by Larissa off their game And they were very lucky it wasn't 6 or 7 nil. It could have been an embarrassing scoreline. It really could. Um, But, yeah, yeah, just really disappointed with the midfield and out on the flanks as well. This is the thing. We could just go through every player, like the wingbacks and the strikers I was so disappointed with as well. Um, I thought wingbacks, I thought Matt Doherty did all right defensively. Uh, Like you say, I think the fact that Sancho was quiet was probably a lot to do with what he was doing down there. Uh, because I, I was looking up his stats as well. He made three tackles, which was the most on the Spurs team, uh, Doherty. So clearly he was having some impacts at the back. And he was having little odd moments when he was getting forward. You know, there was that lovely cane ball to him where he cut inside and then curled it wide with his left foot. Uh, I thought he did okay. I was disappointed with Perisic last night. I feel, despite Conte saying after the Everton game that, you know, oh, he's seeing the real even Perisic now. I, I mean, I. I don't know him as well as Conte does, but I'd be quite disappointed if this is the real even parasites because I feel that he's better than this. Um, made a couple of good interceptions, uh, a couple of little breaks down the left, but I didn't feel he impacted the game much until we had seven crosses into the box. Only one of them found a Spurs man. Um, yeah, it wasn't, you know, I, I think. Ryan Sessignon could probably feel quite hard done by to not have started the game, especially when Conte has um, turned to, you know, his, you know, Session in a lot of the big games. He's turned to uh, him, I'm trying to think, he's played against Liverpool a couple of times, Man City a couple of times, uh, I think Chelsea as well. And every time he's trusted Session, Session repaid him with really good performances as well. So I, f- I just wonder whether he would have had a bit more joy uh, you have know, maybe a bit more pace down that side as well to to pin united back in their half at times so look i've said it a billion times the conte system is so reliant on the uh, the wing backs creating and if they're not then you struggle especially in a 352 with three kind of more defensively minded midfielders you struggle to get any creation happening and then you got the two up front, two of the best attackers, strikers in the world. You know, the eleventh best player in the Ballon d'Or, Sonny. Uh, what did Kane was? Kane twenty first, twenty fourth, twenty first. I think he was twenty first, maybe. So you got the eleventh and twenty first best players in the world, and arguably two of the best strikers in the Premier League. If you know, right up there. Honestly, I know they didn't get a lot of service, but every time they did, it was essentially like chucking a ball against a wall because it was just coming back. Um, I was so disappointed. With, other than Kane, a couple of re- those lovely kind of cross-field balls that he does, um, his pass percentage was the lowest on the pitch apart from David De Gea, uh, <laughs> which uh, I've got it here somewhere. It was so low. I was really, really surprised at just how low it was. It was 50 – Where I've got it here, 53 point – no, sorry, 59.1%. Um, and yes, again, he may have been trying things, but that, even for Kane, that is a low number, and that just shows how much he was giving the ball away. Um, and he he had um, he had three, like Hoybier, three key moments where he took the ball, miscontrolled it, gave it to the opposition. Sonny had two. Um, Sonny had a much better passing rate, it was eighty point eight percent, but surprisingly, and for me, and I think this summed up Sonny's performance: no dribbles. Didn't dribble the ball once, Sonny. It wasn't recorded as... And what that shows you just him not going at it. You know, going at the opposition like we know he can. Um, and yeah, look, the other thing I wasn't delighted with, and I know Sonny isn't one who gets up and makes headers and challenges for big aerial kind of duels, but I think he'll watch back that second United goal and I think he'll be disappointed with himself because he just left i can't remember who it was whether it was castillo it was uh
1: it was martinez who won the oh, header martinez was it Who's, and it was just what, five it was uncontested
0: eight? yeah uncontested header and that set up the whole danger of the attack even if sonny didn't believe he was going to win the header just to go up there and put him off in some way but he almost kind of it felt bad because i felt bad because we looked at it we could see the ball going up there it was one of those where A lot of players would go bang, it would be a 50 50. And I kind of felt like having seen what Sonny does sometimes in in aerial things, I think he believes that he's not the best in the air, maybe, I don't know. And he just didn't go for it. And he kind of knew he wasn't going to go for it. And that just gave, uh, yeah, Martinez the whole kind of dynamic going into it of being able to power that ball forward. Um, And it did it, set up the attack. And, you know, I'm not singling out sonny for being the man that meant spurs lost the game far from it everyone was awful by Loris. but yeah i was just a little bit disappointed with that and then of course that led to a, just like a comedy of errors where i think Hoybier and dyer both messed up at attempts to try and stop the ball uh romero even went for a tackle and the ball pinged off him back to um uh what's his name bruno fernandez and then yeah it was a lovely finish and I felt, because Lloris was completely, it was disguised, wasn't it? The ball was hidden. He couldn't really see where it was going until it was too late. Um, but yeah, I, honestly, I could just go through that entire team and tell you really, really poor things that every player by Lloris did. Uh, and even Lloris had a little bit of a fluff at something early on. I think it was a rash. No, not Rashford.
1: It was Anthony's shot from distance. Shot. But I don't know, did Dyer? Did he get a touch-off, Dyer? Did Dyer he duck? him
0: off, didn't he? Yeah. He was, like, trying to head it but didn't. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, really, really, really poor. Um, what did you make of the substitutions, if we can even call them that, because they literally came on so late in the game?
1: I didn't. What, the first three 81st, to come on was 82nd. second, second yeah. one for like, 88. Was just... <laughs> By then the game had already gone. You're as well just putting them on earlier, a lot earlier, like twenty, twenty five minutes. Put them on the hour mark if you want. But I mean, you you take a look at the bench and there weren't a lot of attacking options on there but last night. Uh, we spoke to Hugo Lloris after the game and he pointed to the you know the absence of. and Kulaseski and Richarlison. What's big? Because the two attacking players who have quality, who can have an impact in the final third. And now, obviously, they went there. So it was just Lucas and Brian Hill. Lucas, he's working his way back to full fitness. Brian Hill's been given limited minutes. Yeah, there wasn't a lot on there for Conte to change things up. But then again, Oliver skips needs a lot of minutes having barely played this season so why not give him half an hour uh why not bring Spence on give him a good 20 minutes or so I think it's been the case in a number of Tottenham games uh with Conte it's the substitution same as Pochettino I think that's a stick a lot of fans used to beat him with that substitutions weren't made it's like at the, the right time Mourinho
0: isn't it Mourinho yeah. would like make half time substitutions
1: yeah. yeah it's weird yeah yeah uh, Yeah, I think the players could have been brought on a lot earlier. I mean, for the sake of eight minutes last night, you're thinking, well, why bother? (laughs) You just bring him on a lot like early because you just never know what can happen. And even just for like Oliver Skip, just give him 30 minutes in the tank, will do him the world of good. I don't even
0: think it was to do with the game. I genuinely think he was just resting key players as in stop them getting injuries. I think he'd actually given up on the game at that point. Um, and like you say, I know it's a cliche, but shoving in younger players like, let's say Skip, Spence and Sessignon, it is a cliche, but it would have meant more to them. You'd probably get better energy levels.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Totally agree with you. Uh, for me, I thought Sessignon might have started. Yeah. But he, and didn't. he came on
0: the right as well when he came on. <laughs> like, why have you wasted him over there?
1: Yeah, a bit of a strange one. So we're going to have to see, obviously, how Conte lines up against Newcastle on Sunday. We will go into that in a bit. Uh, before we go into to a bit more Manchester United stuff, obviously. Ali, your usual NordVPN bit. Do you want to do the honours as usual?
0: Yes, yes, I certainly can, Guesty. Um, so the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN, uh, and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience nordvpn is the fastest vpn in the world and that means there's no buffering no lagging and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth bandwidth throttling (laughs) struggling to even say my own words there uh yeah you know as someone that's used used it in the past to to be able to watch things to watch football to watch my favorite shows and stuff when i'm abroad and out and about um yeah, yeah. Well, people know exactly what I think about it. It's a very, very, very useful bit of kit. Um, and not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. That's because you can purchase things like streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. For example, let's say YouTube Premium is just 85p if you change your virtual location to Argentina. And booking flights from other countries can be cheaper too if you're doing them from uh, those locations. And it means, meaning that you although you're paying out for Nord, you're actually saving money overall. Uh, and there's a whole other host of benefits that come with signing up for NordVPN. So yeah, honestly, I, I do recommend it. Why not give it a go? And you can grab your exclusive Nord VPN deal through our podcast by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest. And you get a huge discount off your Nord VPN plan plus four additional months for free yes, I did say four additional months for free. Uh, it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee.
1: Brilliant. Right. Going back onto Manchester United. I think we need to say a bit more about Hugo Larissa. I think he deserves a lot of credit for us. Uh, He
0: deserves a (laughs) medal.
1: He deserves so much credit for last night. Honestly, that could have been five or six quite easily. Uh, Bit of a hairy moment early on with that Anthony shot, as we mentioned, but after that, absolutely fantastic. Uh, who did he deny? Fred. Tipped to Bruno Fernandes' free kick over the bar. Marcus Rashford was the One the,
0: ones the with Rashford.
1: Yeah, pointing to a very good position. I was saying at half-time to John Veal, as good a save that was from Lloris, Rashford should have done so much better. Because yeah,
0: should have put it in the corner.
1: So much time and space... And he just about hit it to the right of the middle. So it was, uh, obviously, he still got to save them. Uh, and that's what Larice did. But I think Rashford will probably feel himself. He should have done better. Uh, it
0: was the variety st- of the saves, though, wasn't it? There was like there was reaction saves. There was flying saves. There was tipping it over the bar in the air. And there was so many.
1: The, the, the one from Luke Shaw was absolutely fantastic. Yes. Uh, right towards the end of the first half, uh, Shaw in acres of space on the back post, rasping volley managed rolling. to get yeah, yeah. Larice managed to get his fingertips to it, tipped it over, and then not as busy after the break, but still made some key saves. I think two from Rashford, one when he cut in from the right onto his left, and another one when he was on the opposite flank and tried bending it in. Yeah, I thought Larice, probably one of his best Tottenham performances last night. I thought he was just so badly let down by his teammates. He deserved so much more than what happened uh last night. Yeah, just one of those days, really. Uh, yeah, fantastic from Larice.
0: But do you know what it was? It was the kind of performance a goalkeeper has to put in for a small club. Because, like, the beauty of like the top goalkeepers is their ability to not really have anything to do during the game, and then show that incredible moment of concentration to pull off a great save. But Larice having to you know, <laughs> ten shots on target to deal with. Uh, and most of them like terrific saves having to make. That's like a small club going to Old Trafford and being peppered their goal uh, with shots. And that, that's kind of just what annoys me about it. Um, and yeah, but no doubt he was superb. And like I say, I hope people, I really hope people remember this uh, if he has like an iffy moment where he slices a kick against uh, Newcastle because he was phenomenal, especially after a game at Everton where he pretty much, you know, could have got a deck chair out and sat between the two sticks and not really done much. Uh, this was like complete other end of the spectrum, and yeah, I thought it was superb. I did think it was the kind of game where, for me, any questions about his age and his ability and his, because um, the acrobatic nature of being a goalkeeper, he absolutely would have put any doubts to bed for me uh, on that. Because um, I, I've, you know, I've seen players calling for him to be replaced even after the Everton game when the poor guy didn't even have anything to do. I still saw people saying should be replaced. Um, I thought last night was perfect proof of just no, just no. If you don't need to, don't do it. You know, by all means, set yourself up with a successor for the future. But for me, Hugo Lloris is still one of the top goalkeepers in the Premier League, and he proved it again. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: Uh, I saw her on social media last night. Some people still won't give him credit for last night. It was just yeah, I saw still... that.
0: Oh, there were saves he should have made and things yeah. like that. <laughs> Some <laughs> of those reaction yeah. saves were incredible.
1: Right, as well as uh, Larice, think what we need to talk about is Conte's comments in the post-match press conference. Obviously, you were in there. Do you want to just give everyone a bit of an insight into? I think what was quite a short Tottenham press conference. <laughs>
0: It was so weird, honestly, because we'd had Eric Ten Hag had come in and I should stress Eric Ten Hag was, you know, was a very strong kind of contender to be Spurs manager before Nuno's um, incredible um, brief stint uh, as Tottenham Hotspur boss and and Ten Hag came in with the, the confidence of a manager who has just uh, his, watched his team put in a great performance, great results. Um, and he was full of confidence, and everyone in the room was kind of eating out of his hand, even when they were trying to ask about Cristiano Ronaldo, who once again showed his uh, delight at his teammate's performance without him by going down the tunnel before the game had finished. He wouldn't even be swayed on that. He was just like, yeah, honestly, let's enjoy today. We'll talk about him tomorrow kind of thing. And he just had the room eating out of his hand. It was a really kind of well-done press conference. And fair play to him. He deserved it because he's taken on... A tough job at Man U, and you can kind of feel now his imprint on that team, and uh, and especially with quite a young team as well. I, I do think that they're, they're going to keep improving. They're going to have days. He admitted it himself. They're going to have days where it's not going to be like that. Um, and he actually he threw a lot of praise Spurs away as well. You know, sometimes you do wonder whether managers do that to uh, to make their win look all the better. But it did feel like there was quite a bit of honesty behind it. So yeah, so his press conference happened, and then Conte came in only a couple of minutes later. And honestly, it was so flat in there. Most of the journo's in there were ones that were there for to cover Man U. So as soon as Conte walked in, they were just like barely even acknowledged he was in. Like normally, you get a flood of people go up and put their dictaphones and phones on the side. It was probably about three people did. Everyone else just had their head down because they were just still in there sitting typing up their stuff about whatever ten Hag had said or match report or whatever um and i'll tell you no manager really likes to get well of course they don't really go in and speak about a defeat but i would imagine that would have stung conte a little bit conte is used to being one of like the, the top managers in the world and people listening to every word he said to be in a room where you literally have got alistair goldstein <laughs> sitting in the middle going hello antonio it he like probably it <laughs> was a bit like oh god what have things come to and i just got him in the middle um, but yeah, it was really weird because, um, they did the first kind of bog standard kind of, what do you think of performance question came from, I think it was sky. I didn't recognize the chat that did it. Um, and then I asked a couple, I asked about, um, you know, just this whole fear factor that the team's got when they go to these top six top sides like why, and why does it happen? Kind of thing. It was quite good on that. And then I asked him about the subs, just like, you know, essentially, why? Why so late? Why, why did you not trust your team could change the game kind of thing, your bench? Um, and he was quite good on that. it mean, kind of went down the Lucas angle, kind of just said, essentially, I've got a young bench. Uh, but then what was weird after that was that I thought at that point, I've got to be polite, let others have their go. And so I like paused for a moment. And then nobody asked a question. And the press officer went, Right. Okay. Thanks, ladies and gentlemen. Then they went out, and I was like, "Well, I would have asked another one if I knew no one else was going to ask anything." Um, but yeah, his, his comment. To be fair, he'd said enough of interest, I think, for me to to kind of take stuff from it. Um, yeah, on the on the fear factor thing, he very much because he would use that old analogy he does about war, a sporting war. The players must go in ready to like, show blood and die for the cause in in a sporting way. I love the fact that he always says that. I was like, oh, Antonio, you really mean they don't want to die on the football field? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, and he's – uh, yeah, that was okay. But he kind of kept coming back to this fact about, you know, yeah, the players are struggling in these high-level games. It's definitely becoming a thing. And then he very much kind of said – It's uh, it's something that we kind of, as a club, need to analyze and 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 not only improve on the pitch but off the pitch. And it's all like, okay, so in inverted kind of in commas there, you're trying to say, uh, quote marks, you're trying to actually say, I want new signings, please, (laughs) kind of thing. And it's, (sighs) I've got mixed feelings on this because I do 100% agree that Spurs need to strengthen more in the January window. I think they do. Um, Because my feeling on this is, I think. Last night aside and how abysmal it was, I actually think with the run of games coming up, I wouldn't be shocked if Spurs are still third or at the worst fourth going into the winter break because they're sitting in a good position. I mean, even if they lost at Newcastle, they'd still be in third at the end of the weekend just because they had that little gap. They've got the cushion. Um, and other games like being postponed for some teams. So, yeah, I think they'll still be up there. And I think that January window is going to be crucial to maintaining... That um, push, I think, and maybe even turning it into something better. However, the flip side to that is I don't like the fact, and I know all managers do it. It is quite literally a Taylor's as oldest as time, as I joked in my talking points earlier. Managers will go in after a defeat and blame every single person but themselves. That's just what they do. So it kind of, he said it was the players first. These players struggle um then it became you know the club need to analyze why we're doing this while we're struggling in the big games and there was no mention that was there of like yeah, maybe i got it wrong <laughs> maybe there's things that i could learn from this sort of stuff Um, and i know these big managers have these kind of big egos which which is a good thing that's what makes them a success but also i think you do need to self-reflect as well um and i'm sure there were certain decisions out there namely also that trust in his bench and look I look back at it and yes that bench is young. Um it's got three 22 year olds in he, in Sess, Spence and Skip, 21 year old in Brian Hill and 23 year old in Jaffet Tenganga. So more than half the bench were young players, 22 under and 123 year old. So yes, that's true. But these are players who are not rubbish. They've got skill. They've got I mean what the age of those players out there? How uh, how old Anthony
1: for United? It's got, he's an early young lad, isn't he? Is he like yeah. 21, 22, early 20s, something like
0: that? Exactly. Jaden Sancho, I'm guessing, is pretty young as well. Um, you know, this kind of belief that, I don't know, Conte almost has like, if you're not 28, 29, 30 or 31, you can't do a job for the now. I just, I don't think it works all the time. You know, like I say, for me, I think Cesc could have made a difference. I think Skip would have put more by it in that midfield, I thought Doherty, if he was struggling to get through there uh, towards the end, why not give Spencer a little go a little bit earlier than the 88th minute when he actually came on? You know, Lucas, I know they're trying to manage him carefully, but like you say, he needs the minutes also to get his sharpness But Or why not bring give Brian Hill a chance? Brian Hill did come on um, in his last sub-appearance and do very well. And it's almost like, what was the reward for that? There's nothing that's come from that coming on and doing well. He hasn't played since. Um, so yeah, I, I don't entirely buy into this idea that he almost makes it kind of like. How do I put this? I don't want to. I don't want to sound kind of like mean, as it were, or, or nasty towards Conte because I do think he is one of the best managers and coaches in the world. But there's almost this feeling he's come in. Spurs fans will remember when Harry Redknapp way back said something like along the lines of "You've never had it so good" or something. It was it was a paraphrased quote that was probably kind of slightly twisted from what it meant, I'd imagine. I kind of feel Conte sometimes does that with Spurs. It's almost like a, you know, oh, us getting to fourth it was a miracle last season, and it's like. Uh, hello Antonio. You know, just a few years back, Poch was taking Spurs uh to three consecutive top three places, including a second place finish. And in the fourth year, it took him into fourth place in the Champions League final. This isn't some plucky little club that is like upsetting the big boys. This is a club that is should or was being established as a top four regular um that is able to kind of you know do big things in the Premier League. Yes, it wasn't it hadn't reached the next level yet. But, yeah, I, I, that's starting to grate on me slightly, this whole kind of, uh, oh, you know, well, we can only do as well as we can do kind of thing. And I don't think – I think it kind of needs to be slightly careful with the fans as well. I think this was maybe what started to do in for Mourinho towards the end was Mourinho started to say similar things, and it was like he's literally just taken over from the guy that got this team performing, you know. We can argue to the cows come home of of, of the end of Poch's reign and the things that he didn't do right towards the end and things that went against him. But he did take Spurs up to a certain level, which is higher than they are currently at the moment. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say his post-match comments for me were the greatest. That's what I'd say. What did you make of him?
1: Uh, probably same as you. I mean, I think he hit the nail on the head with what he was saying when they go away to teams in the top six and the struggle, to just don't perform. And it's not the first time we've seen this. And I mean, when you take a look at the Tottenham team, you're thinking, why in their fight you go into places like this and having a go two of the best attackers in the world in Harry Kane and Son, you've got experience of even Perisic in midfield, Rodrigo Bensonker, Pierre Malheubert, two very good midfielders, Christian Romero at the back, you've got a World Cup winner in that. <laughs> who made save after save at Old Trafford. You're just thinking, like, why can't you go to places such as Arsenal and Chelsea and Manchester United? Why is there this fear factor there? Now, I understand if teams are in and around the bottom and fighting for the lives and are going to places like this and, you know, are trying to hang on to a point, then fine. Set up defensively, see what you can do. But there's no need for Tottenham to do this Tottenham should be going head to head against yeah Arsenal's Chelsea's Manchester United because they're more than good enough and more than capable of getting points there uh, for me I just I mean feel sorry for the fans like who were travelling oh, and w- yeah. watching that last night because Spurs suppose they're more than good enough of getting these points and it's it's what's frustrating and as I was saying earlier, if you're going to go to World Trafford and lose, just why not go out fighting actually just push and win and try and win? Uh, yeah, it's something that one needs to change. But as I also mentioned, the levels last night, the levels should have been up massively going to a top six team, not you know going the opposite way. Yeah, it's just really bad last night. They could do so much more, really can
0: yeah, I do think there's, there's there's a slight element of realism about Spurs. I do agree with him that you don't go within, you know, whatever he said it was, like nine, ten months from a team that's down in ninth or tenth or whatever to suddenly title contenders, especially in an era when we have Man City, like a juggernaut kind of thing. But I guess Spurs fans are going to look down the road and they're going to look at Arsenal, who obviously are sitting on top of the table, and they're going to say, well, they're managing it. Uh, I guess Conte would say they've had more time to settle into Arteta's system and his ways, so that's a different thing. But this is one of these scenarios where you've got to to question what you want as well on a football pitch because, of course, Arsenal would not have gone – well, we saw it. They didn't go to Old Trafford. They didn't sit back and try to hope that they could nick something on on the break. Again, if that was Conte's way, I still – I'm not entirely sure whether we really did get to see what he wanted from that game and formation-wise, and tactics, I mean. But yeah, um, but then I guess some people could also say Spurs have always wanted attractive football, and in the past, what, 60 years or so, it hasn't brought anything when they've had attractive football. Um, Poch probably came closest to melding the two together, um, having... You know, uh, some really nice football at times, and also being a, a force in the Premier League, I guess. Uh, especially, funny enough, the year against Conte's slightly more pragmatic Chelsea. Um, yeah, it, it kind of, I guess, it's what you want because I do still believe that you give Conte the backing, and within, I don't know, a year's time, eighteen months, I think Spurs are up there and are properly challenging with. An entirely Conte squad, an entire kind of his belief instilled through them, and his way of playing. I do believe they'll be right up there, but the fans will have to stick through that process, and it might mean you're going to have nights like last night. So I know. I mean, where do you think Spurs can go under Conte?
1: I mean, just have a look at the league table now. They're still in a really, really good position. Yeah. It's only the second league defeat this season. Lost once in the Champions League. So what? It's a handful of games before the World Cup. But he played
0: it down. That was one of the things last night Mm. that surprised me. He said, look, I know it looks good in the table, which I thought was, oh, why did you do that kind of thing? You're actually detracting slightly from what you've done there.
1: Yeah, but for me, Spurs can be higher in the table. When you look at when they've gone to Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United, not performed, maybe could have won at West Ham as well. Then you look at the defeats, they could be higher, but they're still in a good position to really kick on Cup 2023 providing that the form carries on over the next few weeks up until the world cup. I mean, when you look at the squad and the players he's got available, you know, Spurs can have a really good cup run this year and hopefully get to a final maybe challenge for the silverware more than capable of finishing in the top four, maybe even, you know, pushing for second, depending on how things pan out over the next few months, uh, just want him to be a bit more, and the team's approaching games, just to be a bit more positive. Because we saw it at the end of last season, they were at the free-flowing best in games, scoring goals for fun. And it's yeah. just like night and day at the moment compared to uh, this season. But there's so much quality there. You just sometimes feel, just let the hand break off, let them go out, you know, and play the way they can. Uh, yeah, Spurs have a lot going for them in terms of the squad world-class manager. You just want to see more of it and get them back to the best and just scarring again.
0: Yeah, they will. I do. I do think that Kudusevsky is a big part of things. I think him coming back unlocks a lot of what's good about Conte's Tottenham. But then I guess the flip side to that would be, why is there no Kudusevsky backup in a squad that is much better and has two in every position why is there no alternative to Kulishevsky? Because they do look so flat without him when it comes to creating stuff.
1: Yeah, most definitely. But I think Conte said it before, all of the problems weren't going to be solved in a couple of transfer windows. It was going to take time. They've done a lot of business in the summer, still need to do more in January next summer is, as well. So I think it's just a case of time. But everyone's always constantly gone on ever since Christian Eriksen left what's well, almost three years ago the lack of a creative uh, midfielder, could it be Brian Hill? Could he be the Coliseski backup? Really, I think he's got it in him. The creative we side,
0: we never know until we watch him play for some Spanish yeah. side in six years' time.
1: That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. Uh, but for him to be a regular and to show that he can be a key part of them, he needs yeah. the minutes. And maybe Wednesday night was the ideal opportunity just to give him 20 minutes uh, off the bench because. I can remember when he came on at Arsenal in the North London derby last season for about 20 minutes. Made an impact. So yeah. you, you certainly got it in him. Uh, yeah, just... I think once Kulisevski's back, he, he makes Tottenham tick. So yeah. fingers crossed they can get back to the previous levels once he's back to full fitness.
0: Sometimes you just need like, a young player to watch them go fearlessly into a game and make a difference. And then the other players kind of almost have that moment where they're a bit like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, I really should be backing my ideas up as well. Why, Why? you know, if he, if he can go in there, if that 21-year-old can go flying into this kind of challenge or go into this thing, I, there's no excuse for me not to do it. And sometimes it just raises everyone that little bit, gives them that little injection of hunger. Um, so I think that's what disappointed me about the fact that it just kind of almost dismissed the bench as a bench of kids. It's like... Yeah, they're younger. But these are some very talented young players you've got on there. And it's kind of it's almost also down to you as a coach to tactically be able to use them and not just rely on this like little ring of favourites. Yeah, it's he's he's better than that for me, Conte. I think that's you know, it's one of those I'm disappointed in you, Antonio, you know. <laughs> You're better than that.
1: Right. Shall we move on from Manchester United then? Uh we'll do what 30 seconds to a minute on the Everton game. <laughs> oh,
0: much more time on now, Everton surely.
1: No, we can talk for a few minutes on Everton. Uh obviously 2-0 win, uh Harry Kane penalty and pierre emil Højbäck with a, a really well taken goal uh yeah, in the lovely. dying minutes, very good finish, good footwork from him. Uh
0: reflected but a good it was a good move I'd
1: say. Yeah tough game for Tottenham especially to start with in the first half because I think Frank Lampard certainly learned a few lessons from the previous visit to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium when Everton lost 5-0. Everton this season it has been a 4-3-3 set up but Lampard went with a 5-3-2 Dwight McNeil was playing as a left wing back uh, just to give him a bit more stability at the back and he certainly worked in the first half so I didn't I think you commented on it the amount of blocks james tarkowski was making across the games putting his body on the line and it was one of those games what we've seen numerous times before for Spurs. one what they seem to have trouble in is when a team sits back and he's just having you know a bit of creative spark in there to create a bit of uh, a moment of brilliance really to unlock a defense and Tottenham just didn't really uh, manage to do that in the first half. I can remember what Harry Kane had an effort. I think was he nutmegged Idrissa Garner Gay, Uh, but then he couldn't get his shot away. Richarlison had a header, what went over. Uh, He got ahead of Connor Cody just before the break with an effort that went over the crossbar. But other than that, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. Everton, in fact, did have the be- better chances with the Mary Gray getting the better of Rodrigo Benton-Curran going through. There was a slight push from Benton-Curran Gray's back, just, you know, to put him off balance a bit. I'm, I'm not saying it was a penalty, because I can see <laughs> you smirking there, Ali, but it's <laughs> one of those where it's just enough to put the player off. And that's what happened. And then... Amadou Anana, a really good run, went through on goal towards the end of the first half and blazed one over. A bit more quality there. Everton could have been ahead and, you know, different game altogether, really.
0: Yeah, it's like we were saying about Conte earlier. It's a bit like it's fine for a small club to go to another club and sit back and, you know, and and (laughs) just hope for stuff on the counter. But it's not really what probably Spurs should be doing on a regular basis at top six teams. Um, No, no. Joking aside, I did think Everton were much more organised than they were when we saw them last time at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, There's definitely can feel like Lampard's got a little bit more of a grip on that team now. Um, Other than those two breaks, though, they did offer nothing. Like I say, not a single shot on target. Um, And Spurs, it's really difficult to kind of talk positively about Spurs after last night. But what I would say in that game, they did kind of ditch one of those cliches that spurs it's not cliche it's the truth that tottenham can't break down teams that sit back because they eventually did um yes obviously it was a penalty that helped them get there but i do feel like especially like the richardison header there were moments before that i think especially after the second half they started to kind of find more room to do things um and, yeah, the second goal was a great testament, I think, to the energy levels that they showed and all of that with Benziker and um, Hoybier racing up the pitch in the 86th minute uh, to have done that. But I think that probably makes it even more frustrating that you know they've had an extra rest day since then um, with the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday before the Wednesday game. And they looked more knackered last night than they did against Everton, despite having less um, rest between the two matches. So I didn't really get that. But there you go. Uh, but there were lots of positives from that game. Uh, Matt Doherty played very well. Conte was delighted with him. Um, told him he gave that big hug after the game and shouted in his ear that he was the Matt Doherty. He knew uh, Come back and all this sort of stuff. Um, yeah, there were plenty of good moments from it. But um, it's just really difficult to look back on it now with too much positivity because of what the players kind of then produced. A few days later, so no, I'm going to let you off there. I don't think we need to talk about it too much other than to say it was a good win, three wins in a row at that point, and Spurs were kind of looking very healthy and happy, um, and now they've got to bounce back from this uh, latest development, as it were.
1: One thing that I want to add uh, from Tottenham Everton that will lead us in nicely to this Sunday's game against Newcastle is Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is becoming a bit of a fortress at the yeah. moment. Uh, that was put to Eric Dyer and Ben Davis after the game in the mix zone, and they basically said exactly the same. I think it's seven successive wins uh, this season on home soil. Uh, obviously, five ten in the league, in all
0: competitions.
1: yeah, two in the Champions League. Uh, Moving into a new home, it does take a bit of time to settle into your new surroundings. It's three and a half years since uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium opened its doors for the first time. But I think it does feel like home uh, to the players. And White Hart Lane in the last season, uh, 2016-17, was a fortress for Spurs. Didn't lose there in the Premier League. And I think it's certainly starting to become one uh, now for the club and Fingers crossed, can add another win to the board against Newcastle on Sunday, but that's a game that certainly won't be easy.
0: No, and you just remind me, actually, talking about the fans in the stadium. I do want to very quickly say, Man U game, Spurs fans were magnificent. For for guys that had, girls and guys that had come up there to watch just utter garbage, quite frankly, served up, they did not stop singing. And then there was one moment at the end of the game But they started singing loudly, they were 2-0 down, the game was done pretty much, and some of the Man U fans were kind of like mocking them, and they only got louder. And I actually felt, unless I judged it wrong, I actually felt there were a few Man U fans who were standing up and applauded them actually saying fair play. There were a few still mocking them, but I did think there were some that were actually like, yeah, fair play to you. Your team's been utterly rubbish, but you are still cheering them to that final whistle kind of thing. And I thought they were superb, the Spurs fans. They always are. The, the travelling fans especially are just so um, hardcore in a good way, I think. They, they really are kind of a credit to um, probably better than the club deserve on nights like that. And they were superb. And, yeah, the stadium is becoming uh, a place where teams are coming and struggling at, which is a good thing, especially, you know, you've got Liverpool coming up is going to be uh, an interesting one uh, in a couple of weeks because Spurs cannot... They won't be able to sit back and play the way they they Conte might want him to because those fans will very quickly get annoyed, I think. Um, but yeah, Newcastle, as I said, I think at the top of the programme, it's like Newcastle are really doing well, isn't it? One defeat, isn't it, this season in the Premier League. They are very, very... Go on.
1: They're uh, six in the Premier League at the moment. One defeat from 11 games, one far, drawn six, uh, yeah, they're going great. Guns two points off fourth. I actually didn't realise they were so high in the table and the fact that the Daly lost one all season. So they're going about the business really quietly and putting themselves into a good position. I know a few Newcastle fans, and I think they probably all agree that they maybe should have a few more points on the table, given they've drawn six. But no, I think they've started really well. So... I think it's got to be an incredibly tough game on Sunday against them.
0: Yeah, I think they've got that consistency now. And I think having them so high up in the table and coming to Spurs, it's kind of, I do think it's perfect for Spurs because I think the, those Spurs players can't look and think like, oh, this is easier than the United game. And just think, oh, we don't really have to kind of, because Conte will be drilling into them. This team is sixth, they have only lost one game. Uh, less than Spurs, that is, and they will be, you know, this is going to be like a financial juggernaut as the years go on. This is going to be a club that is kind of clearly going to be on the rise because of that money. Um, I don't think they can mess around Spurs with this. I don't think they can give any less than everything. Um, I'm intrigued to see kind of whether he changes out what he does. I'd be stunned if the 3-4-3 does not return. Um, Hopefully, with another few days, Kudusiewski might be in the frame but you'd imagine on the bench at the best uh, and I guess they work on Lucas to be able to start uh, perhaps as well um, yeah I do think it's a good game for Spurs uh, I'd probably prefer this to uh, a perceived easier looking game because I do think they, they can't drop their levels um, yeah would do we see the return of Emerson Real I mean what changes do you see happening
1: I can see a change in formation but maybe that's dependent on Kulsevsky's fitness if he goes 3-4-3 three three, I mean given Lucas is still trying to work his way back to fitness do you move Perisic into the front three maybe to bring ses back in the yeah, left maybe. wing back uh, Emerson could quite easily come back in maybe he I think
0: that would go down few. really well,
1: <laughs> well he, he needs to make changes whatever yeah. after uh, Wednesday night, maybe he waits a few more days and puts him into the team against in Lisbon uh, in the Champions League. I
0: think he probably comes back in. I yeah. think Emerson might. And then he says to Derrissi, maybe he plays against Sporting.
1: I think Langley uh, will come back in, into the Ben Davis Because, I mean, Conte always has like three set positions where he does change. So, yeah, I can see Longley coming uh, back in just hoping the Kulisewski's back fit. Probably not going to be in a position to start, but mm. just to, for an option to come off the bench, I think that would be a big, big boost uh, to Tottenham. So I think things certainly have to change uh, ahead of the Newcastle game.
0: Yeah, I, I think the way you was talking about Lucas, it sounded like really, really like they're managing him. I mean, it, to only come on for eight minutes or so in a game like that, was A bit of a surprise last night, it kind of suggests that he's way further back than actually he he really should be, kind of thing. Uh, we know he had that, he had a setback a couple of weeks back, but still, that is very cautious with a guy that's been back in training for a couple of weeks. So, well, he must yeah.
1: be in a, a good enough position to be in the squad because if yeah. his fitness were that bad, he wouldn't be in the squad. But I think it's just a case of just building up the minutes. Eight, hey, mm. I mean. Give him 20 minutes, like, last night, not Eight minutes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're not going to use Brian Hill, then I think Perisic is probably the only option, isn't it? And then you play Ces- Uh But, yeah, I'd, I'd be shocked if Session doesn't come in. And it depends which way he wants to play it, doesn't it? It's whether he goes for Emerson in Europe or Doherty in Europe. Um, because the problem is, is having praised Matt Doherty and then him not being as great yesterday you're not sending the best message and then chuck him straight out of the team at the first opportunity. Um, I mean, yes, of course, you can say it's rotation and everything, but I don't know. I don't think it looks particularly great. But then I guess the flip side is you've got ultra-fresh Emerson Real. Um, But, you know, know my thoughts on his ability to create for Tottenham and also if he were to stick with a 3-5-2, there's even more emphasis on those wing-backs to create than there is in a 3-4-3. That would worry me slightly, that you would then be reliant on him crossing the ball into the box. And, uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to have a successful conclusion.
1: Well, he might have used these two weeks practicing on his crossing. You never know.
0: Well, do you reckon he spent another 800 grand on <laughs> <practicing> his <laughs> crossing?
1: <laughs> well, well, we'll find out on Sunday. If he's uh he's that. Like,
0: we're not gonna be talking about an <laughs> Everton assist, are we?
1: <laughs> the next podcast. Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Talk Tottenham. There was an awful lot to discuss after the Manchester United defeat, but Tottenham have a chance to put things right on Sunday afternoon when Newcastle visit North London. As ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk free with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee.